0: Well, good morning, everyone, and how are you hanging in on this, I don't know, how many weeks of shut-in are we? Um, today's episode of Keep Calm and Cope Corona cast is going to be hosted by my good friend, Lindsay Griffiths, and co-hosted by my other good friend, well, I have a couple, but one of my other good friends, Marcy Schunk, and today we will not hear from our good friend, Katie Barnard. She couldn't make the call today, but... We are so excited that you keep tuning in. We hope that this is helping you to, um, uh, I guess, maintain as much sanity as possible in this tough time and to adjust and adapt to this new normal. So sadly or not sadly, I think people are um, seeking help in the various stages of grief. So um, sadly, that's true, but not sadly, we're here to help. So. Today's topic is depression, and Lindsay, since you're going to host this
1: conversation, I'm going to let you take it away. Thanks, Susan. Depression—it's ah, a really challenging topic. Um, so, I—I I do want to say before we get started, um, I was on a—a call, a Zoom call last night, um, talking about the other challenging topic of um, sexual assault, which, um, if people don't know, it's April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And uh, one of the panelists that was talking was a therapist. And she said, you know, at the beginning of that call that this is a very difficult topic. So people should take care. And if they need a break, if they need to step away, if they need to not participate, they should feel free to do that. And I do want to say that at the top of this call too, that, you know, we're going to be, Speaking about this from our own personal experience, none of us are therapists, none of us are experts, but um, if this does feel like a really difficult topic for you, please don't hesitate to take a break from listening to us or you know, go watch something that's happier um, or come back or just feel free to skip to the next episode uh, once that's up because um, depression is a really hard topic. It's an important topic, uh, but we don't want you to feel uh, that it gets you too down. Um, so we are going to also share some resources with you, but we do want to emphasize the most important thing is that you should seek help if you or a loved one is suffering from depression. And we can't emphasize that point enough. Seek help. I know it's a really hard time to seek help because we are all inside and maybe you don't want to go and, um, and visit a doctor, but there are so many great opportunities for telehealth or virtual help um, that are out there and available, and therapists are doing that, doctors are doing that, so please take advantage of those opportunities if you feel like you need help. So that is my little spiel at the beginning. Um, So for people who are living with someone who has depression or may know someone who has depression, know that supporting them is an extremely intense and demanding role, and you may not be able to give them everything that they need, however well-meaning that you are. And I've seen a lot of people offer to lend an ear or support people. They I've seen a lot of people share the, uh, the suicide hotline. We're going to share that, too, in our in our resources. Um, But it's hard to understand really what that support entails. So it's important and we're going to defer to professionals too. So you need to encourage your loved one to seek the support of professionals. It can be devastating to somebody in the middle of a depressive episode to call someone that's offered their support and not have that person answer the phone or have a text go and answer or find out that they're unable to support you in the way that you need to be supported. So I think... There's a difference, and and something that we want to address here is that um, there are different kinds of depression, and what we're sort of talking about in this episode is really depression as a stage of grief um, versus depression as a psychological or or. or th- therapeutic issue. Um, I think some of us have have dealt with the the latter, Um, and we can certainly talk about both. And the Mayo Clinic shares some of the symptoms of depression, and some of these won't be surprising to people who aren't familiar with it. But I'd like us to go through what some of those are, because some of them might be surprising to the people who are listening to this and may not have had uh, any experience with depression and maybe experiencing it for the first time or maybe seeing people in their lives who are experiencing experiencing that. So I don't know if um, if Susan and Marcy, if you guys would like to share some of those, I know we've got those in our in our resources.
0: Um, this is Susan. So I'll say that um, I think that sometimes I've recognized depression in others where they haven't recognized its depression only because I've known them for so long and they seem to be different than they once were. Um, mm-hmm. And they talk about things a lot, like over and over, not letting something go. So they haven't moved through that process and they probably do need to seek some help. Um, but when someone doesn't ask for that, how do, you, how do you tell them they need to think about that? I mean, without being shut down and seeming like unsolicited advice from a jerk. Um, so that's the one thought I have about this today. Marcy, what are your thoughts?
1: That, that's
2: a great point, what you just mentioned. So I think there's a number of different ways that depression can manifest itself. And so for me personally, when I was in my, I guess, late childhood and teens, I would generally cry myself to sleep at night. And I didn't think twice about it. And it was just kind of the way it was. And what I did then, and I think it took me many, many years to stop doing this, even once I knew that I had depression as an issue, was I always looked to identify an external reason for the way that I felt. And so it was constantly being like, oh, well, this part of my life must need to change, and that's why I'm not happy. Or this thing isn't working out for me, and that's why I'm not happy. So I never... And when people would come and ask, well, what's wrong? Why are you sad? I always felt compelled to identify an answer. And so that's one thing that I see now. I know my older son suffers from depression, but in him, it manifests itself completely differently. And to Lindsay's point about not being able to help other people with their depression, I struggle. To help him because it manifests so differently. So if you come to me and you're crying or you're lethargic or you don't have interest in things, I can identify with that and I feel like I can give the empathy and compassion. When somebody comes to me, like my older son who is angry and oppositional and resistant and down on himself and blaming others, I that triggers something else in me and it's not empathy it's not it's not the thing that he needs from me for sure and so all of those are different ways that that depression can manifest itself right so it can be somebody being angry and snippy all the way through you know somebody bursting into tears and being completely emotional and i think that's important to recognize and not always something that is easy to acknowledge when somebody all of a sudden is is angry more often you look to try to identify all of the external reasons for why that is and don't necessarily pause and say, Well, wait a minute, could this be the manifestation of something deeper?
1: I really love that point, too, Marcy, about how depression isn't necessarily something outside of ourselves. I think, you know, for people who have been diagnosed with depression, it can sometimes be something that is situational. And I think that may be where a lot of people are now where, you know, what's going on outside in the world is creating a sort of situational depression for people. And that can happen too when, you know, a loved one passes away or a loss of a job can also create something that's uh, that's situational depression. But depression can also be a chemical imbalance in your body. So you may be, and, and that again, you know, if you're going through something like that, that can also create some feelings of guilt and, you know, why am I not feeling better? How come I can't get a handle on this? You know, I'm doing all the right things that I'm supposed to be doing in order to feel better, but I'm not feeling better. Um, And then that sort of reinforces that cycle of depression where you feel like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, but you're just not getting better. Um, And then that is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, And and again, that's why things like talk therapy, um, medication, if it's needed, are so important. And then doing a lot of the other things that are recommended by therapists and doctors um, are so important.
0: Yeah, this is a tough, tough topic. Um, I think everyone, whether we recognize it or not, has gone through um, at least, at the very least, situational depression. I mean, in in grieving the loss of a job or a divorce or um, even a a major change, like you move, Um, there's some, some unsure feelings and some feelings of a loss of control or the fear of the unknown. So I think that I, like most, have suffered that situational depression, like what's next and how do I make this work and what an unexpected change this was. And we always are sad when we have to say goodbye without having um, – no, if, if I'm planning for something or I know something's happening, I can prepare. Again, you all know me. I'm like, give me the facts. What's going to happen? I'm going to sit with this and I'm going to accept this. But if I have to say goodbye and didn't expect it, like someone dies unexpectedly, or, you know, I am surprised by a loss that I didn't know was coming That That's really sort of a sucker punch. And that will give me, um, great pause. I remember one time in my life without getting into too much detail here. Um, I went through, you know, you know, finding out that my ex had, you know, someone else in his life when he shouldn't have. And, Losing my house, letting go of my job, all the things I thought were important like my title, my car, my boat, my home, my land. But and having an infant, you know, my child was nine months old when I learned all this stuff. So it was a lot of life change at once. So people, you know, and my father had died. So it was a lot of things that had happened within a short time frame, and within eight years, two two siblings had died. Um, my mother had been diagnosed with dementia, now Alzheimer's. So yes, I think I have been depressed, whereas a long time I thought, you know, I've never really been depressed. But now that you, Lindsay, have pointed out the difference that there are different types of depression and situational depression is one of those types. Yeah, I definitely have experienced
1: situational depression. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I mean, we're, we're looking at depression as one of the stages of grief, which, you know, and that's what you're talking about here. And, and I think, it's one of those things where people have to be kind and, and give themselves some grace. So, PSYCOM describes it as a commonly accepted form of grief and, and most people associate depression immediately with grief as it's a present emotion, they call it. It represents the emptiness we feel when we're living in a reality and realize the person or situation is gone or over. In this stage, you might withdraw from life, feel numb, live in a fog, and might not wanna get out of bed. The world might seem like too much or Are too overwhelming for you to face. You don't want to be around others, don't feel like talking, and experience feelings of hopelessness. And this goes along with some of the symptoms that the Mayo Clinic shares for depression, which people may not even recognize as symptoms of depression, which include slowed thinking, speaking or body movements, feelings of worthlessness or guilt, trouble thinking, concentrating, and making decisions. I think this is really important because I think, especially in what we're going through right now, we can have a lot of difficulty focusing. And it can be hard to associate that with these feelings of depression. You might think like, oh God, why can I just not get these things done or I'm really distracted or I'm all over the place. And that can actually be a symptom of depression. And again, it is a fine line between figuring out like, okay, what do I need to do to get out of this and cope with it? And we'll talk about that in a, in a minute. And where is the line of like, I need to call a therapist or a doctor and, and get some additional help. Um, but recognizing that it's, it's a little bit more than what you might normally be feeling and to give yourself the space and grace to have these feelings and to understand that that they're, they're not quote unquote normal, you know, what is normal these days. Um, but to understand that that it's not just um, it's not something that you're at fault for, let's say like you know not something that you really need to be beating yourself up for or feeling guilty about i think is is really the most important message that we can can offer you
0: you know I think that guilt um is a worthless endeavor seriously it doesn't matter in what application guilt and gossip are two worthless endeavors i mean. Um, So I love the phrase space and grace. I've never heard anyone say that, but that's so powerful. Give yourself space and grace. I often say, sit with it, sit with the feeling. So I think that's where you're going with that. Is that true?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it's been my mantra this whole, uh, this whole pandemic is, you know, give yourself space and grace because, um, you know, especially that first week, I could not figure out why I felt so distracted um, because, you know, my my work situation really hadn't changed. Not a lot of things had changed, but there was this looming thing hanging over my head and understanding that it was okay to have different feelings associated with that. And to understand that things had changed physically, you know, emotionally, even if they hadn't changed physically was um, something that I really needed to work on processing. So I Mm -hmm. think on one of the shows, Marcy, you
0: said something about, um, you know, feelings that are manifesting themselves in ways you don't recognize, like loss of sleep. I just think I didn't sleep well, but maybe it's because of all this. So go ahead. I know you wanted to say something, Marcy. Sorry about that.
2: Oh, no, it's okay. I just, I love the concept in the space and grace as well. And I, I think that's something I still work on is kind of sitting with the feeling of being in it yeah. and, and accepting that it's okay to do that so for example if you I am so LinkedIn and I I get a lot of always have connected my self-worth with results and productivity and so when I'm in a situation where I would like to just sit on the couch and been watch TV for five hours I get that feeling of guilt that you were just describing. And and it's taken me a long time to allow myself the freedom to do that without guilt. And it's, all, and yeah. it's kind of in the background a little bit, <laughs> but that general sense of it's it's always been a difficult endeavor for me to relax and to slow things down and to take the space I need to get through something. And so that requires effort, which sounds contradictory, but and for some people, it does to take that space and, and give yourself permission to take a step back and to let yourself feel this and get through it and not beat yourself up over it.
1: I think that's a really important point. So I know, you know there's a lot of research around the importance of rest and the importance of relaxation. And I think we as a society, especially in the US, don't do that very well. And I'm wondering if, you know, obviously I, I too have a lot of problems with guilt. I was raised Catholic. So my mom very, very proudly talks about how she raised us with the good Catholic guilt. Um, So uh, I also have trouble relaxing, but I'm wondering if, um, you know, there's, there's something to the idea of that balance between relaxation and how we can figure out how to better do that, um, as a foil to this like constant barrage of, you know, I need to be doing this. I need to be more productive. I need to keep moving forward. Um, and if, if you have any thoughts on that,
0: I do. So have you ever heard of the concept in Buddhist, um, I call it a philosophy, but of monkey mind. So you're thinking yeah. mind. okay. So people, whether they acknowledge it or realize it or admit to it or not, they, they all experience that at some point in their lives. Some of us more than others. And, um, you know, your mind is racing and you can't turn it off and it's hard to sleep. I had a therapist once tell me, um, well, first of all, she started with just know that it's a sign of brilliance. And I was like, well, I don't know if that's true or not, but I like (laughs) that. Thank you. I'm super brilliant. Wow. Um, but she said to me to literally, um, envision a stop sign and physically push your hand out straight with the hand up as if you're a crossing guard telling people to stop, you know, and I laughed and I thought this is so silly, but it does, it it creates an interruption in your overthinking, which is something that um, many, many people do. Um, And you, you manifest that in your mind because you're imagining the stop sign and then you manifest it physically because you're actually pushing your arm out there with your hand held high as if to tell a car to stop. Um, so I know that sounds silly and I giggled, but honestly, I did it. And, you know, I meditate now, so I no longer suffer with that monkey mind. Um, or if I feel it coming on, I know what to do. Um, but yeah, that worked for me. I don't know if that's relevant at all. I don't know why I felt like I needed to say that.
1: (laughs) I I think that's really good. And I, yeah, yeah, I think the meditation piece too is, I think that supports that also because I feel like medit. I'm on my 27th day of meditation and it's good. Yeah. I can't say enough about it. (laughs) I I love meditation. It's so life changing. It's very
0: difficult folks. If you've never tried it, you don't know how difficult it is. If you've tried it, you know how difficult it is. If you've tried and mastered it, you still know how difficult (laughs) it (laughs) is. Do you ever master it? I feel like... (laughs) It's that space between, um, you're no longer thinking, but you're not asleep. Yes. Not fall asleep. Yeah. It's hard.
2: It's so hard. I would get, I mean, it sounds hard. I, would get so angry and frustrated when I first started learning how to meditate. And I first started learning as a process because I thought I, I wanted to learn hypnobirthing so that I could go into this meditative state when I had my child. And uh, I would lay there and just try to, you know, silent your mind. It's really what you're doing. You're trying to just kind of get all the thoughts out. And I would get so frustrated and angry because I, I couldn't do it. And then I would get agitated, and my skin would crawl, and it was this just horrible, horrible feeling for a while. And it reminds me of when I tried to go back to ballet in my early thirties, and went back to ballet, and I had grown up doing ballet. I danced through college, and I went back in my thirties, and I could physic. I knew that I wasn't going to physically be able to do any everything. But I was in pretty good shape. And so I was able to kind of get the physical pieces of it. What I couldn't grasp was the mental piece. Oh, wow. And so they would come out and, you know, it was an intermediate class. She would come out, she would give you the routine, and then you were just simply supposed to replicate it. And I couldn't get it. Like my mental capacity to do that had not been trained in so long that I had to get that back. And I think meditation the same way is – you need to go through the process over and, over and over and over and over and over and over again before you get to a place where you can even get a glimmer of what meditation might look like, and then you go from there. But it it can be frustrating, and so I guess if you if we have people who are listening who are new to meditation, I would say don't give up on it if it doesn't come naturally right away. Yeah, uh, it is worthwhile, but it can be incredibly frustrating at the outset.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think it's one started, of those. Go ahead, Lindsay. I was just going to say, it's one of those things I think you have to commit to on a daily basis for yes. an extended period of time.
0: Yes. When I, when I first started meditating, there was an exercise that's sort of like uh meditation 101 that was super helpful in what the, some of the stuff that Marcy just talked about. Um, there are lots of distractions. So it was called layered listening And you would acknowledge the traffic outside and then you put it away and you acknowledge the sound of the fan in the room and you would put it away. And then you would acknowledge the sound of your breathing and you would sit with that. So there might be more layers than that, but that's just the example of layered listening that sort of helps you get to that place where um, those sounds are no longer a distraction. They're just something that you uh, put aside, you know, they're not in your path. They're just there.
1: It's exercising your equanimity muscle. Listen to you,
0: coach. (laughs) I have not exercised many muscles since I've been sitting at the desk all day, every day for a month now. But um, yeah, that's cool. I didn't even know I had one of those. Thanks. You too.
1: (laughs) All right, so unfortunately, back to the depressing topic at hand. Um, Have you experienced depression as part of the grieving process during this time of pandemic? And if so, is this a first for you?
0: I have not, but I will tell you my great concern for my mother, who is in a facility that's already had seven deaths because of this pandemic, Um, that is a concern for me. And it's more that I can't take her out. I can't go see her. I can't physically care for her. Um, I have to just wait for that weekly email report on, you know, who died this week. And that is very disconcerting. And I do. um, But I'm very good now. I wasn't always so this is not I'm not bragging. Um, I'm very, very good at recognizing what's within my power and what isn't and letting go of that which isn't. So that's one of those things that I read the up, email update and I'm like, damn, you know, there's another death of a, a resident in her facility. Um, but all I can do is continue to FaceTime with her, send her little video messages and then go dance outside her window like some crazy freak.
1: <laughs> that, <laughs> it takes work, it definitely takes work. To, uh, to recognize that and, and focus on what you can control and what you can't. Marcy, mm-hmm. how about you? Uh,
2: yes and no. I, I think, I mean, in general, because I am familiar with depression in my life, I can acknowledge it and know what I need to do to stay ahead of it, right? So routine is important to me. Uh, making sure I'm getting exercise, making sure I'm meditating, making sure I'm eating right. That said, you know, nobody's perfect, and we're all in this environment where every now and then, and maybe more often, we get into this place where, like, oh, hell, I am going through, you know, all of this crap right now. I'm going to have an ice cream sundae and a glass of wine, and screw <laughs> it all. And I know that I, that could potentially trigger a down day for me. And that is just the way. It, and so for me, it's more the one thing in my life that I have to protect more than anything else. And I learned this after I had my first child and had a horrible postpartum depression is sleep. And yeah. so for me, if I'm not sleeping well, that I need to figure out how to fix that as quickly as possible, and that can come from anxiety, it can come from not eating well, it can come from not exercising I mean anything can trigger not sleeping well and so if I have an evening or two where I don't sleep well, that's the first I come back to the basics right and that's the first thing I focus on is how do I make sure that I get a good night's sleep tonight and that is a good reset button for me so Yes, I probably have had over the course of the past few weeks, more sleepless nights or issues of not being able to sleep or waking up in the middle of the night and not being able to go back to sleep than I had previously when I was in routine and not traveling. And so that has been a focal point in making sure. And and I find, you know, I can't look at the news at night. I can't get on Facebook at night because then I have all these thoughts in my head right before bed. Um, So just Getting knowing what triggers it makes it easier to maintain some level of normalcy in the midst of what's not normal. So, okay, do you
0: let me just say something about your um Sunday and your wine? That sounds like <laughs> in my house. Asking, <laughs> <laughs> hey. Um, you describe that as some sort of departure from the norm. I'm like, of hey, that. <laughs> sounds amazing. Um, but I want to say one quick thing about alcohol. <clears throat> Lindsay, I know you don't drink and that's that's awesome. That's why you're healthier than I but I am a fan, a big fan of wine and we will hit Bevmo even if it's a, we we have to go sit in our car and they deliver it. We'll hit Bevmo during the pan- pandemic and they have huge sales and you know we'll pick up our bottles of wine. But I want to let everyone know if you think that wine <clears throat> helps you sleep, you're wrong. It helps you fall asleep, but it does not allow you to get into that REM sleep that we all need. It interrupts the REM sleep. So for those of us who enjoy our one or two glasses that maybe now have turned into bottles of wine at night, um, it is not a good idea. So y'all heard it here from me, folks. You know I enjoy my wine. Um, A glass a night is my usual limit, but it does not um, ensure... A good night's sleep like so many wrongly think it just helps you zonk but then you don't have that uh, meaningful REM sleep so just wanted to throw that out there
1: <laughs> also I, I know that not everyone realizes that alcohol is a depressant so yeah. if you are really struggling with not feeling great um, it might be something that you hold off on doing for a while good point. Um, very good point yeah I I sleep for me. <laughs> I'm so bad about sleep at the moment. I'm having a lot of trouble getting to bed at a reasonable time and it's definitely killing me.
0: <laughs> so, I know. You're in New Jersey. I'm in California and you respond to my midnight emails. I'm
1: like, what? I know, I know <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. I'm working on it. My dogs are so angry with me because they would <laughs> like to go to bed at a reasonable time. So, um, but I'm, yeah, I'm working on it. Um, I bet that does help you, um, Lindsay. Don't you think that helps with depression? Yeah, actually, I I was going to mention that. I was thinking about that because I about eight years ago, I was in a really bad spot. um, And uh, I was suffering not only from depression, but agoraphobia, which is kind of a risky when you've had agoraphobia. It's kind of risky to be quarantined in your home. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, my, my youngest basset hound, who is eight years old, um, I got him around that time and he forced me to get out of the house and, uh, re-engage with life. And, um, I often credit him with saving my life at that time, um, because, um, he, he just, you know, he gave me a reason to get up in the morning. And I had another dog, but he's very, my my older dog, Barney, is very, um, he's very much like me. So he's happy to stay home and do nothing and stay, you know, sleep all day and that kind of thing. So um, my younger dog, Oliver, really helped me to have a reason to get up, to engage with the world, uh, to have something to take care of. And I think you never wanna have have a living thing come into your home that has a job, but um, like a, a partner, a child, a, an animal. But when you have something else in your home that you have to take care of and you're forced to care outside of yourself, it gives you a reason to get up in the morning, and to think outside of your own head. And when you have that, it makes such a huge difference in how you feel because anytime you get out of your own head a little bit, whether that's thinking about your friends or your family or your pets or your children or your spouse, it just, it, it just helps so tremendously. It's I can't tell why that works. But yeah, it, it just it makes is. a difference.
0: For me, the one so time I mentioned that I might have touched upon depression, as you described it earlier, um, I remember there were days when I said, and I still say this, that my son was my reason for breathing. That's not just a Hallmark card. Yeah. That was for real. There were times when um, all my life came crashing down that I couldn't do it for me, so I did it for him or because of him. So you're exactly right. I had to take care of an infant.
1: Yeah. I have a friend who was just struggling struggling with depression for the first time. And she said, you know, if it weren't for her son, she wouldn't have had a reason to get out of bed. And it just, it makes such a difference.
0: Yeah. Marcy, did you want to say something? No,
1: I was just echoing what you were saying.
2: I completely agree. Yes. No, I I revert when my kids are not in my home, I revert to my, you know, staying up way too late, sleeping in. It's, it's, (laughs) it's, It's my nature to I'm a night owl, so
1: same. Yeah. So those are a couple of the tools for coping with depression. What are some others that you use to cope when you're struggling? Are they
0: proper tools or so so like I mentioned earlier, ice cream sundae and wine sound awesome to me, but those aren't good for you. They might be the wrong, <laughs> <No>. tool. <laughs> the wrong tools to use. Daily walks outside sound good to me. Now, I haven't engaged as much as I'd like, but that sounds great.
1: Proper nutrition, I think you want to try and and (laughs) things that that fuel your body in in the right way. I, too, love sugar. That's my drug of choice. Um, Also coffee. But um, when I am better fueling my body, I feel better and everything seems better to me. Sugar is just not good for me. Not to say I'm not eating, I'm eating plenty of it. Don't worry about it. But in general, I feel better when I don't eat that much.
0: You know, I think it's a mental thing with me that, um, you know, well, we know that I gained 60 pounds now in the last two years taking care of my mom. But why haven't I lost it? Now, a lot of people say you're 53, it's hormones, it's bigger than you. Even when I engage in proper nutrition and I'm sleeping well, I'm still not hopping on that Peloton like some of our friends are doing. I'm like, you know, that just doesn't feel good right now. Um, so I think it's mental. My husband and I both agree that, you know, we have a treadmill, we have a nice neighborhood. I can walk. <laughs> in God, God bless, you. bless you. Um, you know, there are lots of ways that I could move my body, but I sit at this desk from like seven in the morning till seven at night, and then we eat our ice cream and drink our wine. I'm just kidding. Um, and we go to sleep. <laughs> so I think it's essential. there's something there that's, you know, I'm not ready to take care of myself like I should, or when I do, I don't see the results. So I give up, but that's another call for another day.
2: <laughs> it's, it's habits, right? It's, it's about, maybe that's what the topic is that we talk about is, is how to start habits or break habits.
0: Um, Girl, I, I used to run perfect. five miles a day and I had twelve percent body fat and I ate nothing with butter, sugar, or oil in it. It was amazing and very yeah. difficult to maintain. Yes.
2: It it it's so hard to maintain. And then once you've done it sometimes too, I don't know, I get to this place where I'm like, Okay, I've done that. So what what now?
1: Right, right. <laughs> That's, That's your bargaining.
0: <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that bargaining where you're like, yes. Oh well, I did that, but now I can yes. that.
1: <laughs> I, I check that <laughs> off the list. Now Now we're in wine and ice cream time.
0: Yeah, you're teaching me so much. Um, Well, um, I'm going to listen for the next section because this is, I think, what we're all looking for is the positive. I really want to hear what you have
1: to say. Yeah, so we, I think one of the things we're really looking to do on this podcast is look for the positive. So when you do have a life-threatening disease like depression, and make no mistake, depression is a life-threatening disease, even when you find yourself with situational depression, what might you say are some of the positive things that can come out of it? Marcy, what would you say you think is something positive that depression has given you? Uh,
2: Confidence. So I, I now feel confident that I can get through just about anything. And I feel that way because I have built and know the coping mechanisms that work for me. And so it's given me that strength and that sense of even if things go awry, you know, when things used to go south and I would get depressed, I, I would have this sense of permanence, right? Like and this frustration of why can't I get out of this and why can't I control this? And why can't, you know, I'm doing all the right things. Why do I feel this way? And now and and maybe it comes with age too. Mm it's this sense of, okay, this is a stage, or this is a few days, or this is, it, it's not a permanent state. And yeah. I couldn't tell myself that before and believe it. So I think that that is one thing that I've gotten out of having to go through depression.
1: I love that. That's really, I never thought of it of it that way, but I think that's really important. Um, for me, I would say, it's definitely empathy, um, for other, for people with mental illness, um, having been through it myself. Um, and it's really crystallized what's important in life. It reminds me to get back to the basics. Um, and as you alluded to before, you know, when you start to struggle to get back to what the routines and and what you really need to do, look at, at, you know, getting, Good sleep, good nutrition, exercise. Do the things that you know you're supposed to do to get back to that even balanced state. So, um, which also forces you to take care of your health, both physical and mental. So, um, I think those are are um, that's been what I, it's taught me. Um, I like I can't afford to not get outside for a walk um, or get outside for a run when I'm allowed to run um, because I just can't let myself get back to that spot. Um, And I, you know, I, sometimes I need to check in with the therapist. I need to go see my doctor. Um, I can't not do those things. Um, Whereas before I could let some of that stuff slide and uh, now I'm just not able to. So um, I have to check in with loved ones, especially other loved ones who suffer from depression too. It's really important. So um, those have been gifts uh, that depression has given me.
0: That's very powerful and super courageous. And I'm Gosh, I am in the company of greatness right now. So, thank you for being so courageous and sharing your personal stories. I wonder if maybe um, I'm looking at or listening to you, Lindsay, when you said, you know, and you too, Marcy. You alluded to this when you, you know, what's the right thing to do, and you do it, and then you still feel like, well, I guess this is just the way it is, you know, like that that you really won't be able to create the change that's needed. So I guess hopelessness, is that, is that maybe a word that might describe what Mm -hmm. I'm talking about?
2: Yeah. Yes.
0: So, um, I'm not there yet with this whole weight thing. Um, and the pandemic has nothing to do with whatever feelings I'm currently talking about. This had more to do with the amazing, incredible, and I don't mean positive life change with bringing my mom here, um, to care for her. But I think that Maybe that's what it is. Maybe you two have helped me to recognize that maybe I am suffering a little situational depression and have been for two years with caring for my mother. It's an, mm-hmm. it's it's the least, I mean, like it's worse than being an umpire. I mean, it's the most thankless job in the world. Um,
1: Well, and I think, Susan, what you're talking about is something that a lot of people experience when they are a caregiver for a parent. Um, I saw my mom go through it with her own mother, and there are a lot of very deep, serious feelings that are associated with that that are... Very real and very hard and challenging to deal with, and for a lot of people, it is something that you do need to either, you know, that's why there are so many support groups that deal with that, um, and or you know, something that you want to seek therapy for. Um, And there's no shame in uh, in going and talking through that with somebody who is objective and can give you some really good coping strategies. Or ways that you can better care for yourself. Because I think, especially when you're a caregiver, it's, it's one of those times where it's really hard to figure out where the line is, where you need to draw boundaries for yourself yes. and do some self-care and where you're supposed to be always letting go of, of what your needs are and always caring for the other person.
0: I'm a just get it done kind of gal. And so I do, I just go through the motions and like, just knock it out, get it off the list. It has to be done like it or not, hold your nose and move on. But um, yeah, that's powerful, Lindsay. That's true. 40% of caregivers pass away before the people they care for. So according to a
1: study from Stanford, um, which is an incredible number when you think about it.
0: Yeah. And I'm way too fun, funny, happy, smart, and cool to die young. So come on. That's (laughs) right.
1: Get that under control. I love you. And I think, you know, great conversation. And it's important what you say too, about the idea of hopelessness. So, you know, what, what you're saying, not just about for caregivers, but for anybody, if you're, if you're doing all of those things, if you're doing all of the things to cope with depression and you're not coping and you're feeling like you don't understand why it's not working and you're not feeling better that is the point definitely that you need to get a professional involved and Mm -hmm. it's okay to do that you know call a therapist call your doctor if you don't know where to go for a therapist go to psychology today and they have great resources for finding therapists Talk to a trusted friend or family member and ask them who they're using for a therapist and go and get some help. Um, You know, you can also call the suicide hotline. Again, we're going to put that in our resources for you. Um, For people that are not themselves feeling depressed, but we'll see, we're going to put the signs of depression up in our resources. If you see anybody in your life that's experiencing those signs of depression and you think that you want to get somebody some help, you can reach out to. Uh, reach out to them and uh, and offer to get them some help. Um, Susan, I think you mentioned at the top of the uh, at the top of the broadcast that um, it can be challenging to say to somebody, "I think you need some help," but that's exactly what you need to say. I think you know it's really hard to talk to somebody that you think is going to hurt themselves or is is going through a hard time, but it's not the time to be shy about it. I've had those conversations with people. It is very hard. It's embarrassing for both of you, but you need to do it because this is a really serious disease and it is a really serious conversation. So don't be Mm -hmm. afraid to say to somebody, I think you're hurting and I want to help you. I don't know how to do that. Um, And ask specific questions like, do you have a plan? Um, are you going to commit suicide? It's okay to use the words. Um, If you need more resources, again, don't don't be afraid to call your own doctor and say, how do I talk to somebody about this? Um, those resources exist out there, so don't be afraid to uh, to Google and, and look that stuff up. Again, like we're not doctors, we're just trying to share the resources so that um, everybody has a little bit better information for how they can have these conversations. But mm-hmm. if it
2: comes- and Lindsay to to the to one of the points you just made, I think it is important in terms of noticing things in other people. Sometimes that can be the trigger that somebody needs in order to acknowledge something in themselves that maybe they didn't even notice. So for me, yes. it wasn't until I was applying to grad school. I sorry, I'd applied to grad school, I was re- ready to get in, I was preparing my health forms and I needed to, you know, fill out some form for the doctor. And for me, it was just, you know, this, this is a rubber stamp thing. I go in, I meet with the doctor, we go through these questions, she signs off and I can go to grad school. And as we're going through the questions, one of the questions was, have you ever had suicidal thoughts? And I had checked yes, and she asked me about it. And I'm like, doesn't everybody? I, I don't know. Like, the, the, to me, that just seems perfectly normal.
1: Right. And of so course everyone it,
2: does. It, 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 yeah. Um, no. So, um. <laughs> So, so that was, but that was what I needed to even acknowledge that that wasn't normal, and that that was something that you know maybe I needed help for. Right. And so, ha- don't be afraid because you could just open somebody's eyes to something that they don't even see in themselves.
1: Right, you know? right. Yeah. And um, sometimes having those conversations allows that person to realize that you know, the jig is up and they can feel a tremendous amount of relief just to have somebody else to talk to about how bad they're feeling. Um,
0: the, along, in, in, along those lines, I want to say this one thing that I heard somewhere from a credible source that oftentimes, so I've stopped people twice, two people from committing suicide in my life. Um, oftentimes when people attempt suicide, it is really the cry for attention. They want the attention. And, and and that's not to sound snarky or snotty. People need attention. They need, you know, when you have a support group, that gives you your core coping skills. A core support group gives you your coping skills. And if you don't have that community or those friends or people you can call, or especially in this, you know, shut in, stay at home order pandemic time, a lot of people might suffer um, from those feelings of abandonment or loneliness or, you know, helplessness. So a lot of times when people, um, attempt suicide, they really are, they're not, obviously you're not in a, um, you know, a reasoned, reasonable, healthy state of mind when you do that. Um, but it's often a cry for help. They don't really want to end their lives and leave this, um, life. They, they want someone to pay attention to them, help them. They don't know how to deal with the things that they need to deal with. And so that's their major, major outcome. You
1: know, cry out for help or outcry for help, I should say. Right. They may not know how to ask for help otherwise.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This was such a powerful conversation. Um, I am, you know, so grateful to have both of you and Katie when she's on as well, willing to have these conversations and openly share your feelings and stories. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we will see you folks next time. Um, Look for the resources that we share along with every episode. As you know, we have a Facebook group and we share those resources along with the episode each week at 8 a.m. on Friday when we record. So thanks again for listening in. Stay safe. If you need to email anyone who's um, or, you know, Facebook message us, feel free. We'll send you some of these resources. We are not doctors, but we are humans who have um, the great capacity to feel. I mean, these three, these women on this show, we are all major feelers. <laughs> we feel deeply. So um, not thank, according to Myers-Briggs. Break. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much, everybody. And thanks to you guys for being um, such incredible women in my life.